morning. One additional thing we want to let you know about, uh, you've probably seen this or heard this already, but we just want to make sure you know, if you're planning to join us next Sunday for worship, and we hope that you are on Christmas Day, uh, that is going to be a service at a special time next Sunday. That's at 10.30 next Sunday morning. There's no atrium service. Uh, all the adults and all the kids are going to be together up here um, on Christmas Day. If you can uh, come and be part of that, we would love to have you join us at 10.30 next Sunday. Um, just wanted to make sure that you knew about that. This is going to be fun. This isn't going to stay where I put it. Uh, so that's going to be that's going to be fun today. Uh, there's a line uh, from Moulin Rouge that comes into my head periodically. Yes, I know that that's a weird way to start a sermon, but that's the way it is today. Uh, so there's this line from Moulin Rouge that just kind of jumps into my head periodically. Um, and every now and again, I think about it and I contemplate it, and I really want it to have originated somewhere else. But so far as I can find, it has not. It, it came from Moulin Rouge. Um, and it says, the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and to be loved in return. And I think about that every now and again. Because love is a universal idea. It's a universal constant. It's a universal longing that humanity has. We deeply desire to be loved. Everyone wants that. And that's because we're designed for it. We are made to be loved and to love. Uh, our Christmas tree is up. Uh, the lights are on it, barely. Uh, some of our lights were bad. We had to go hunt for lights. But the tree is up and the lights are on it. And uh, presents have been bought. They're not wrapped yet, but decorations are going up and, and we're getting ready for Christmas. Christmas is a week away and at our house we are preparing for that in all of the usual festive ways. And I assume that that is true at most of your homes as well, that you have nativities up, or you have tinsel, or you have twinkle lights, or you have something going on that is uh, uh, Christmas-y in your world and in your life. Uh, but Christmas is not here yet, and as much as we love Christmas, we don't want to rush into it. We patiently approach Christmas throughout the season of Advent. We continue to wait on Christmas, and we remind ourselves of the longing that we have for God's promises to be revealed and fulfilled. And so we find ourselves in the Advent season, in our uh, slow and deliberate march toward Christmas, we, we find ourselves living in the tension of the now and the not yet. And this is the exact same place that the prophet Isaiah has been living as he's been talking to us over the last three weeks and sharing messages with us of hope and peace and joy. And today we turn to Isaiah again. Isaiah has been the lectionary reading uh, this year for the Christmas season and it has been helpful to me. I hope it has been for you as well. We turn our attention to Isaiah again, this time to Isaiah chapter 7. If you have a Bible, feel free to, to um, follow along there. You can follow along on the, on the text on the wall behind me. But in Isaiah chapter 7, we, we find uh, an interesting passage of Scripture, one that is very often associated with Christmas, but interestingly, one that does not have the word love in it. Uh, before we dive into the passage, just a quick piece of background. Isaiah is going to have an interaction with the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. His name is Ahaz. And he is one of the worst kings 
Israel has ever, ever had. In Israel or Judah, the northern or southern kingdoms, Ahaz is one of the very worst kings Israel has ever encountered, and that's really saying something. Uh, He does not worship God. He worships pagan idols. He makes pagan sacrifices. He commissions pagan altars to be crafted and put into the temple. Uh, He even uh, perhaps uh, practices child sacrifice in Israel. This guy is a bad dude. He has been robbing people in Israel with increasingly staggering taxes in order to pay for his vanity projects. Um, It is not a good time in Israel. And yet um, Ahaz also has a problem. There are two other kings uh, in surrounding countries who have teamed up against him. And he is very worried about that. We find all of this in 2 Kings chapter 16. We're not going to go there, but every now and again it's important to remember that what happens in the prophets is mirrored in what's happening in the books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. And so if you want some background on Ahaz later on, you can check out 2 Kings chapter 16 and you can see his life a little bit better. And yet even though Ahaz is so terrible and so bad, God still loves his people. Even if Their leader is a terrible human being who's doing terrible things. God still loves uh, his people. And so despite Ahaz's wickedness, he sends Isaiah to Ahaz with a message of love. That message is in Isaiah chapter 7. I'm going to pick up reading in verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, Ask a sign. Of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as the heavens. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals? that you weary my God also. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall call him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. There's some weird stuff going on here. This is is a dense passage of scripture and there's a lot to unpack. And honestly, we're not going to get to it all. Uh, Very briefly though, let me say this. Uh, Ahaz... um, has been told, the two kings that you're worried about, you don't have to be worried about. God's going to take care of that. And in order to prove that God's going to take care of it, you can ask for any sign that you want. God is is telling you, ask for a sign, and it will be given to you as proof that I'm going to take care of my people Judah. I'm going to take care of your kingdom, Ahaz. Even though you are terrible and wretched, I still love your people. Go ahead and ask for a sign. And Ahaz says something that sounds super pious, right? I will not 
ask for a sign, and I will not put the Lord my God to the test. Which is actually a commandment in Scripture, right? This comes from Deuteronomy. It's in, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Jesus actually repeats it in the wilderness during his temptations in Matthew chapter 4. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. It sounds like Ahaz is doing something very pious here, except that we know who Ahaz is, right? He's not a God worshiper. He's not a follower of Torah. He's not a good guy. He's not a good king. What's actually happening here is that Ahaz is refusing to put any faith or trust in the promises of God. He says, no, 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 that's okay. I don't need, that. I don't, I don't need your sign, Isaiah. And I don't need your, your God's sign. I don't need to ask for that. I'm not going to bother to put the Lord to the test. His promises are worthless to me. Ahaz is not being pious. He is refusing to trust God. And so God says through Isaiah, fine, I will give you a sign. It's not enough that you wearied men. You now have wearied God. This is God speak for Ahaz, you're a jerk. All right? I will give you a sign, Ahaz. Because God has said, test me in this. I'm allowing this. Which, interesting sidebar here, just for a second. It is the command of God that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, but God says here it's okay. There are apparently times where God can and will countermand his own word. We have this really strange tendency to elevate the word of God to the same level as God. Please remember that God is higher than his word. God can do what he will when he wills it. Uh, He gives us his word that we may know him to the best of our abilities. But God is not his word. He is still higher than his word. Which is just a little interesting side note here in this passage. And then God says, so I'm going to give you a sign, and here's the sign that I choose to give you. I choose to give you the sign of Emmanuel, which is left untranslated here in Isaiah, but if you have been around church or the Christmas season long enough, you will know that Emmanuel means what? God with us. You know that. I knew you would. God with us. This is God's sign to Ahaz. Here is the promise. God will be with you. God with us. And this promise that, that, that God makes through Isaiah that the, the young woman will have a child and he will be named uh, Emmanuel and certain things will happen by the time he knows enough to choose the right from the wrong by the time he's about 13-ish or so. Um, the, the two kingdoms will be laid waste before Ahaz. This, this prophecy appears to be fulfilled in uh, Isaiah's own day, in Ahaz's own life, and yet hundreds of years later, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew picks up the thread of this promise and says, oh, you know what? There's an additional fulfillment of this promise. There's something else that God is doing when he says he's going to be with us. And so we turn our attention to Matthew, um, to the Gospel of Matthew, where the angel speaks to Joseph uh, after Joseph has decided that he's not going to take Mary as his wife um, because she's been found to be pregnant. So we pick up in Matthew chapter 
uh, 1, verse, uh, verse 20, about halfway through verse 20, we read this. The angel says in a dream to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, for he shall save the people from their sins. Jesus means he saves. And all this, here's Matthew's editorial note, all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew fills in the blank that that we, we found in Isaiah. You'll call him Emmanuel. Great, what's that mean? Matthew tells us, God with us. And even though this promise has apparently been fulfilled in in the Old Testament, Matthew says there is a deeper fulfillment. There is a new fulfillment. There is another fulfillment that happens in the person of Jesus. And here we find the love of God. Here we find the love of God. This is God's love. Emmanuel is God's love that God is with us. That is the love of God. God has loved humanity so deeply that he has entered into the world that he has made to live among us and with us as one of us. God has loved us so much that he has come to us in the person of Jesus into all of the brokenness and all of the muck and the mire. God has loved us so much that he is with us in Jesus. Jesus is God hurting alongside of us. Jesus is God walking with us through joy and through pain. Jesus is God being in the mess with us. Jesus is God showing us who God is and demonstrating and displaying his deep love for us even when we don't understand why the world is the way that it is. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. He was when he was born and he remains so today. And what can we say about that? What can we say about that love? What can we say about a God who loves his people enough to take on flesh and blood and to to not just masquerade as one of us, but to become one of us, to hurt the same way that we hurt, to face the same things that we face, to experience disappointments and heartaches and hardships and joys and hopes and longings the same way that we do? What can we say about a God who comes and lives with us, who experiences our own brutality and loves us still? What can we say about a God who comes in our own form that we might understand him better, whom we then kill, and he says to us, I still love you? What do we say about that kind of love? We can say this, that nothing ever can separate us from the love of God. 
Nothing can separate us from God's love. There is no external force in all of creation that can break the bonds of love that God has for you and for me. Nothing. The Apostle Paul writes about this at the end of Romans chapter 8 and verses 38 and 39. Paul writes this. He says, For I am convinced, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No sin, no shame, no doubt, no question, no past mistake, no present situation, no future failure can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Can't separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is how deep God's love is for you. That is what Emmanuel means. There is nothing that can separate you. No external force can pull you away from God's love. And so we must strive to to keep ourselves centered directly in the love of God. Well, nothing can make God stop loving us. It is possible for a human being to walk away from God's love just as it's possible for us to walk away from all sorts of things in life that God has for us, that God longs to give us. It is possible for us to turn our backs on God and walk away. And most of us don't do that in, um, in dramatic fashion. We don't leave like the prodigal son who says to his father, you're dead to me, give me my inheritance now. I'm out. Uh, that, that's not usually how we turn our backs on God. Usually when we when we walk away from God's love, it happens in small increments, almost unnoticeably over time, in acts of apathy or selfishness or just choosing other priorities. And we have to wrestle. I know that I do. I have to wrestle against that on a daily basis to keep choosing God keep reminding myself of the truth of Emmanuel, that God is with me and for me and loves me. I have to keep choosing to center myself in the love of God. This is what uh, Jude writes in his tiny little book. We don't know much about Jude. We we think that he might have been um, the half-brother of Jesus, brother of James. We're not 100% sure, but here's what he writes, and it's good advice for us. He says this in verses 20 and 21 of his one-chapter book. He writes, But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit, and keep yourselves in the love of God. Look forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That is something that you and I can do. God has given us the ability to choose him. We can center ourselves in the love of God. His love is not hard to find. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He longs to love us. 
We must choose to receive that. So how do we know that we've done that? How do we know that we're centering ourselves in the love of God? Well, when we do that, when we have chosen God's love, we discover that his love poured into us overflows back out into love for others. This Emmanuel, this this God with us, this, this immeasurable and imaginable love that exists in the person of Jesus Christ, when we embrace it, it causes us to love those around us more and more. And this is perhaps for me the most beautiful thing about love. That real, sacrificial, generous love will always create more love. I have heard um, parents, I'm, I'm not one, so I don't know this to be true, but you parents in the room, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong about this. I have heard sometimes that, that parents wonder, will I be able to love my child enough? And then they have a child and they go, oh my gosh, I didn't know that I could love so much. And then perhaps they have a second child and go, oh man, am I going to have to split my love between the children? And the next child is born. They go, oh, now I understand I have a new depth of love, even more than I imagined before. Love will always create more love. It's not a finite supply. We're not in danger of running out of it as long as we lean into it. If we are living in God's love, we'll end up sharing God's love. This is what Jesus says to us. Um, it's, this is all in the same kind of speech to his disciples, but it's broken up into two chapters. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then a few verses later in chapter 15, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. If the love of God is in us, if we are loving God, if we have accepted God's love, if we have accepted Emmanuel, then we're going to keep his commandments out of love. And what is that commandment? To love other people. It's this, this wonderful cycle of love that begins with Emmanuel, that begins with God choosing to be with us. Let's go back to Isaiah just for a second. Back in Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 7, um, God tells Ahaz that he can ask for a sign. And he says this, that you may ask for a sign as deep as Sheol. That's the place where the dead go in, in Jewish belief. Or as high as heaven. That's the place in Jewish belief where God lives. You can ask for a sign, God says, that is miraculous and impossible. Any sign that you want that spans the entire universe, the breadth and width of all creation. What sign would you like? Ahaz backs away from that. No, no, I'm not going to do that. And so God gives a sign. And God gives exactly what he says Isaiah can, uh, Ahaz can ask for. A miraculous, impossible sign. God gives the sign that is beyond our imagining. He gives the sign of Emmanuel, of God with us. What else could demonstrate the love of God in such a full and magnificent way? I can't think of anything than the God of all creation 
the Lord of heaven and earth, coming to be among us and with us in order to love us, that we might love others. God loves you. God loves you. And Jesus is the proof of it. So stay in that love. Live into that love. Lean into that love and love others because of it. We're still waiting. Christmas is one week away, so we're still waiting. And today, in 2022, as the year draws to a close and a new year is about to begin, we are still waiting. We're still waiting for the world to be made right. We're still waiting for hope to be fulfilled and peace to be realized and joy to be eternal. We're still waiting for love to live in every human heart to such a degree that the world is made right. We're still waiting. But as we wait, we do so with a mysterious and beautiful life-changing and world-changing knowledge with the knowledge that God loves us. The knowledge that God loves us so deeply that he came to be with us. We know this because of Emmanuel. We know this because of God with us in the person of Jesus. And so we continue to come uh, into deeper into worship to the table that Jesus has set before us. The table is not mine, it's not the church's, it's the table of Christ. He has said it, and the invitation is his, to come and to remember God with us. To come and to remember how deep God's love is for us, that he would come and he would be present with us, he would walk among us, he would live like us in order to show us how to live, that he would love us in order to show us how to love, that he would sacrifice for us in order to show us how to sacrifice, that he would die and that he would rise again to show us that death is not, death is not the end, but that God has life for you and for me. So we come to the table and we experience the love of God and the truth that God is with us. Through the bread, through the juice, every time we come, we remember God with us. So as we prepare for our time of communion, would you please, if you're able and willing, to stand with me and... Uh, confess uh, before God, not in an act of um, shame or anything like that, but in an act of love. As we reflect on the love that God has for us, we love him in return. Would you please confess these words with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Come and receive the communion.
On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body given for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup represents the new covenant in my blood given for you. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. For in this way, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. <clears throat> 